And our first reading tonight is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. At the end of the reading, we'll have a few moments quiet to reflect on what Jesus has said. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Our second reading this evening is from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 5 to 15. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to say, bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your heart, mouth, and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Last weekend, the deacons spent Saturday together trying to fashion a vision for for the coming year. And as well, recognising that we're a new team with three new deacons, we we spent some time getting to know each other. We did a a simple personality test in which we were invited to reflect on which of nine ideal personality types most closely identified the kind of person that we were, what it was that made us tick. And some felt that, yes, they were pretty much that kind of person. Others kind of spread their net a bit wider and, and had a little bit of them all. I I felt I was quite clearly identifiable with one particular personality type, but admitted that because I'm a minister, uh, you know, I have to behave and interact in in certain ways with certain people, so there are skills that I draw on that come out of other personality types. And those of us who have been professionally trained all agreed um, that we have the capacity to respond in different ways in different contexts, and that kind of broadens out a bit the kind of people that we are. If you like, we adjust our behaviour to our role. So thinking of myself, I I act as a minister, I'm a member of my family, I'm a member of the, the scholarly community, I'm a mentor, I'm a supervisor, I'm a tutor, and all these roles require me to act in specific ways, and I have to adjust and adapt to the different people that I'm dealing with. So I ask myself a certain question as I come to speak on this passage tonight. If I behave in different ways in different contexts, does that mean I'm kind of putting on a mask to engage in a particular role and then take it off and switch it for another one when I engage in a different role and speak to somebody else? And if that's what I'm doing, does that make me a hypocrite? Because that's the original meaning of a hypocrite, the person who dons a mask to act a part in a play and then puts it to one side when they finished playing that role. If I put on a certain mask to engage in a particular role and then take it off again when it's no longer required, as if I have certain ways of behaving hanging up in my wardrobe and I can take one down, wear it, and then take it off and put it off again when I don't need it anymore. Who then am I really on the inside? Will the real Tim Carter please stand up? And it's a question of integrity, of being a whole person. Not one person some of the time and another person the rest of the time. Not being a Jekyll and Hyde character, but of ensuring that whatever situation I find myself in, I am Tim Carter. The genuine article. I show a facet of who I am without dissembling about it. 
And what Jesus is on about in the opening verse of Luke chapter 12 is making sure that our allegiance, our loyalty to him as the Son of Man isn't a mask that we put on on Sundays and leave in the cupboard the rest of the week. Being a follower of Jesus needs to be part of our core identity. That's why we need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Being a follower of Jesus needs to inform and direct who we are, how we live, what we say and do at all times and in all places and with all people, at home, at school, at work, on holiday, at weekends, with family, with friends, with colleagues, and when no one else is around. Living for Jesus in every situation. Those of us who are private people, and this being Horsham, there are quite a few of us, can sometimes be a bit like an onion. There are layers to our personality and and different people kind of have access to different layers depending on how much we trust them and how open we're prepared to be with them. But having integrity as a Christian means that if the onion of our lives is cut in half and the inner core is exposed, there at the very centre of our being and in every layer of our lives, we will be people who say, however falteringly, Jesus is Lord. You see, the criticism levelled at the Pharisees, fairly or not, was that they were primarily concerned with external purity and cleanliness. And Jack made that point very clearly this morning. All that washing, all that avoiding contact with anything or anyone unclean. But they didn't really look deep inside to see the state of their hearts. And so their religious observance, detailed and meticulous and thorough as it was, was in many ways only skin deep. And that wasn't good enough. Jesus' concern was that people should be the same on the inside as they are on the outside. And speaking to his own disciples, Jesus raises the issue of hypocrisy not so much because he's concerned about the possible superficiality of their religious observance. His concern in their case was a different one. His concern was rather that they might be tempted to keep their faith hidden and concealed under wraps. And outwardly to live as if they weren't following Jesus. Because he knew that for many of them, following him would entail persecution. That's why he talks about not being afraid of those who can only kill the body, but have no power over the soul. That's why he lays it on the line about being being prepared to own up to being one of his followers. Those who acknowledge him before men will be acknowledged by him before the angels in heaven. But those who disown him will also be disowned, disturbing words. And does denying Jesus before other people constitute the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I don't believe it does, even though in in Luke's Gospel the sin of blasphemy against the Spirit is placed in parallel with denying Jesus before other people. But they're not one and the same thing. 
To deny Jesus is to speak against him. And yet Jesus says anyone who says, speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. To blaspheme against the Spirit, arguably, is decisively and ultimately to reject the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and who brings the grace and the presence of Christ into the lives of God's people. That difficult saying about blasphemy against the Spirit is found in very different contexts in Matthew and Mark. I suspect that Luke took it for his gospel out of a collection of Jesus' sayings in which it was grouped together with a warning about disowning Jesus because both sayings are warnings with a similar grammatical structure. And so it's natural to put them next to each other, but they don't interpret each other in that sense. They don't mean the same thing. Denying Jesus is one thing. It's not to be equated with blasphemy against the Spirit. They're both serious, but one may be forgiven and the other may not. Those who worry about blasphemy against the Spirit should be reassured by the oft-cited saying that if you're anxious about the dangers of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that's a good indication that you have not committed this sin. Because if you have the capacity to feel guilty, that is a sign that you've not rejected the Holy Spirit, whose task it is to convict people of sin and through that to remove you of repentance. So if you're bothered about it, that sense of being bothered about it comes from the Holy Spirit at work in your heart and in your mind. If you sinned against the Spirit, the last thing you'd be would be bothered about whether you sinned or not. Because you would have rejected all sense of right and wrong in that sense. So moving on from that digression, it's also the Holy Spirit's job to give you the words to say when you're put on the spot and someone says, you're a Christian then? Jesus promises the help of the Holy Spirit to those who are called to give an account of their faith, who are put on trial before synagogues and rulers and other authorities. Doesn't happen much in this country. Your standard response is one of polite disinterest or minor aggravation. There have been incidents recently of people having difficulties at work through expressing their Christian faith. Yet that doesn't really come in the category of persecution as it's experienced in other parts of the world. In Sudan, on the 2nd of December, a group of young people are gathered together at the Khartoum Evangelical Church to pray and to fast. According to the Barnabas Fund, at 6 o'clock in the morning, the police arrived in vehicles and proceeded to raid and demolish the building in which they gathered. 37 were arrested and charged with breach of the peace, public nuisance and the obstruction of a public servant during the course of his duty. Some of those detained were taken to the Khartoum Bari Criminal Court, where they were each fined at least 200 Sudanese pounds. Many parts of the world, this kind of hassle, arrest, intimidation, persecution, is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus' warnings about what it would entail are very real for his followers in many, many parts of the world and we need to be praying for them praying for those put on trial for their faith praying for those who are arrested for following jesus praying for those who suffer intimidation and threats because they come to a prayer meeting that they would know the truth of jesus promise that the holy spirit would give them courage 
and words to speak if they're put on trial for their faith. But this whole passage is a challenge to be open, to live openly without being secretive in any way. Jesus expressly says that nothing is concealed which will not be disclosed. Nothing is hidden that will not be made known. What is said in the dark will be broadcast in broad daylight. What someone whispers in your ear in the depths of your cellar will be shouted from the rooftops. So the moral is, don't do stuff you are ashamed about in secret. Because the day will come when everything that is done in secret will be revealed. And don't think you can live as a Christian in secret. Because one day, it's going to come out. There should be no glaring discrepancy between what people know about you in public and the kind of person you are on the inside in private. That cuts in two directions. There is firstly no room for hypocrisy, for pretending in public to be a far better person than you are in private. Being one person in church and quite a different person with your family at home. It's a matter of integrity. Being one person, the same on the inside as you are on the outside. Because the day will come when God will turn our lives inside out and everything that's been private will be made public. But it's also a challenge to those of us who have a faith but don't want anybody else to know. It's a challenge to stand up and be counted and not to be ashamed of belonging to Jesus. Because if we acknowledge him before other people here and now, he will be proud to acknowledge us as his own before all the angels of God. That will be your ultimate vindication. So don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid because God knows how many hairs there are on your head. He cares about the sparrows that are sold in the market. What's the price, he quotes? Five for two pennies. Two for a penny. Five for tuppence. Buy four, get one for nothing. What are they worth? Dirt cheap. So cheap, in fact, you can throw one in and not even bother about charging for that extra one. So many sparrows worth so little. And yet, Jesus says, not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing about it. Every single one of them is remembered by God. Okay, but how is that supposed to help exactly? We had a bit of this discussion at the pub group on Tuesday. You know, what difference does it make that Jesus knows all the hairs on my head if I'm having a hard time? How, how does that make any difference to me? If someone is giving me a hard time about my faith, what difference does it make? Think, oh, well, at least God knows how many hairs I've got. These words of comfort don't necessarily appear to make any difference. And yet in a context where Christians are despised for their faith, when they are looked down on, when they are treated as valueless, 
or their faith is rubbished. In that context, it's easy to feel worthless. It's easy to feel perhaps God-forsaken. It's easy to feel abandoned. If everybody around you is against you, it's, it's hard to have a sense of, of God's love and, and God's presence with us and God's care for us. But Jesus assures us that we are not worthless. We are not God-forsaken. We are not abandoned. Sparrows might be sold on the market stalls for next to nothing, yet God remembers every one of them, even the one that's given away for nothing. And what value would you set on a single hair of your head? Would you miss it if it was pulled out? I don't think any of us here would tonight, looking around. But God would notice it was gone. So don't think that you're worthless. Don't think that you don't matter. That no one would notice if you disappeared. Because God would. God does. God treasures you and everything about you. And if he knows about the things that we dismiss as worthless, how much more does he value and treasure you? How much more are you going to mean to him? And God does treasure you. It can be hard to see that when everybody else is pouring scorn on you for what you believe. Yet Jesus assures us that that is the case. When we finally make it to his presence, we will know firsthand how much he loves us and how much we've always meant to him. So yes, expect it to be tough to live as a Christian for Jesus. Jesus never said it would be anything else but that. But recognising how much you mean to God can be the key to reaching that place where nothing matters more to you than your faith in Christ. So let that faith be a part of you. As much on the inside as it is on the outside. Matching how you live, with what you believe, with what you say. St. Paul rightly said in that reading in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. May those words be true of us.